And as I started that habit, that's when I started to access memories that I had never thought of for years. And I had a memory come up where, um, it was a defining moment for me where I actually started to suppress my emotions. Mm. Um, I just had, it was a very simple interaction, something that could happen with any parent on any given day. You know, my mom, we were school shopping and and I was crying because I didn't like the way the clothes were fitting. And, um, my mom, you know, she was very pragmatic in the moment, probably just was like, we needed to finish shopping and go home. So she was like, you know, I think you've been eating too much ice cream. Maybe we should just stop eating ice cream, which not a bad suggestion. Um, but in the moment, you know, I felt really vulnerable and I made a decision internally that I was never going to cry in front of my mom again. You are listening to the Dr. Haley show, the podcast dedicated to helping you optimize your health. Each episode, there will be an interview or a message to help you discover better health. We will be featuring health radicals on the show to bring new ideas to the table, as well as doubling down on key fundamentals to support you living your best life. Your host is no other than the founder of Haley Nutrition, Dr. Michael Haley. Today's guest is Megan Van Sal. I met Megan at the Beljansky Conference, winning the war on cancer. She holds her MA in Human Development Counseling from Vanderbilt University. She received an honorary doctorate from United Theological College in Philosophy of Humanities for her significant work for those diagnosed with cancer. Megan is author of Braving the Storm and Change Your Cancer Story. She's the founder and CEO of Cancer Peace University, where their goal using the three-step solution is to set you free from the fear of cancer. And Cancer Peace University trains practitioners in the care of those with and in the prevention of cancer. Megan, thank you for joining me on the Dr. Haley Show podcast. I met you in Jacksonville, Florida. I was with my wife, Michelle, and she has been begging me to get you on the show. She can't wait to watch it. You know, did you arrange to have Megan? We finally did it. We're connecting now. And I absolutely love today's topic. When I talk to my patients or talk to customers about getting well from, you know, whether it's cancer or the sniffles and everything in between, I like to tell them that there's pretty much five things that you can do for your health. I want to talk about, I'm going to mention four of them and tell me which one you think we're going to talk about today. <laughs> Nutrition, exercise, rest, positive mental well-being. The mental well-being is definitely my topic of choice. Yeah. And I like to explain to people, when you hear me say these things, ask yourself which one you need work in. And if us saying that positive mental well-being, if there's anything in there that you think is not addressed that you can do better in, this is for you. This isn't just for people that have cancer, right? Yes, exactly. And we all need to be working on our mental health. And I've always explained to people, I'm looking forward to this because I'm going to understand so much more what I've been teaching people. You know, that is nutrition, exercise, mental well-being, and, and getting good rest. They all kind of work together. In fact, all of them probably affect our nutrition. So if you think your weakness is nutrition, 
how you think changes your body, your blood chemistry. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll have some insight on how that might even help us with our immune system and make things work more like they're supposed to. What's your story? How did you get into this space? Oh, that's a great question. So, um, yes. So my name is Megan Vansell and I'm the owner and CEO of Cancer Peace University. And our main goal is to set people free from the fear of cancer. And part of how we do that is to really help people understand, first of all, what is cancer and to understand the emotional roots of what has developed in their psychology, their mind and their core belief system, which is in their subconscious mind that has a role to play energetically in whether or not their body is able to go through a process of healing or become in a place of energetically being blocked and having more of the frequencies that are associated with um, low voltage and inability for the body to energetically address um, the cancer in the body. And so um, my background's in counseling. So I studied human development counseling at Vanderbilt University and have studied many different modalities of um, neuroplasticity, of neuroscience, of Uh, core belief therapy, and how to rewire the brain. Because for so many years, there was the belief that the brain is static, and there's no uh, dynamic change happening. But now with um, neuroplasticity and the science of neuroplasticity, we realize that the brain can reorganize itself. And people that live in a negative frame of mind can take effective steps towards rewiring their brain. I've completely, you know, experienced it myself where, you know, I would have certain thought patterns when I see things or whatever the case is. And I had to change the way I think, whether it was replacing that thought with something else or going to something that I've meditated on. What are some of the techniques you would, you know, put in place to do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot of great strategies out there. And sometimes people have a hard time shifting their thought patterns and their emotional patterns because they haven't gotten to the core of the issue. And what we look at is as the core of the issue is the core belief system. Your core belief system is developed from womb to seven. So when you're in your mother's womb to seven years of age, you're assessing the environment, the interactions, what you're learning, and you're making conclusions based on all of these interactions and input. And you're deciding basically what you believe about life, about people, about yourself, about God and the spirit realm. And you're forming your basic belief system that's going to be your worldview that will undergird how you process information and how you make decisions for the rest of your life. And so most of us have not had an idyllic childhood. A womb to seven might feel like, whoa, that was like the worst part of my life. Now what do I do? Um, And the reality is, is that part of our jobs uh, internally and from a positive, healthy psychological standpoint is to actually go back to these moments from womb to seven that need to be readdressed and basically redesigned so that our belief system can shift. 
So a lot of people will not be able to have positive thoughts or positive emotions until they look at their core beliefs and which beliefs are maladaptive. You know, it's interesting as you're telling me these things, I'm thinking, wow, I barely remember my childhood, but the patterns that will have been established from my childhood are in place. So if I experienced some kind of horrible trauma, whether it was physical, you know, mental, emotional, how are we going to dig in and uncover that so that we can understand it and move forward? That's a great question. And that's a question that I get a lot of times. A lot of times people be like, well, I have like two memories from childhood. I, how am I going to, you know, redesign my memories? And so the interesting thing about the brain is that your belief system is basically established within the memories in the subconscious mind. And it is basically the if you look at a computer, the computer programming, it's behind the scenes. It's something that you're not consciously aware of, but it's running everything. And so part of what needs to happen is we need to be able to innervate our conscious mind with our subconscious mind and connect the two. And the way that people connect their conscious to their subconscious, there's several strategies that I teach um, cancer patients in my program to do. And one of those strategies is meditation. So learning how to meditate learning how to um, be able to open yourself up through meditation to a more, a deeper energetic experience and spiritual experience, but also to really be able to stop the frontal lobe limbic system, fight or flight mode, and be able to become more cognizant of what's going on behind the scenes in the subconscious mind. So meditation is one really big key. The other thing is deep thinking. So we need to engage in a process of deep thinking to access these memories. So I teach people a lot of times about free association journaling. So taking a journal and dumping your thoughts. So in college, my story is that in college, I started at panic attacks and I had a lot of anxiety and I didn't know where it was coming from. So I started the habit of going to Starbucks, listening to Enya, and then I had my journal and I would dump all my thoughts. I would free association journal because I had no idea where the anxiety was coming from. And I would journal for 20, 25 minutes, dumping all of my thoughts. And then all of a sudden I would have an emotion and I would just release it. Like usually I'd be crying in Starbucks and I'd figure out what was connected to my thoughts, what emotion was connected to my thoughts. And as I started that habit, that's when I started to access memories that I had never thought of for years. And I had a memory come up where um, it was a defining moment for me where I actually started to suppress my emotions. Mm. Um, I just had, it was a very simple interaction, something that could happen with any parent on any given day, you know, my mom, we were school shopping and, and I was crying because I didn't like the way the clothes were fitting. And um, my mom, you know, she was very pragmatic in the moment, probably just was like, we needed to finish shopping and go home. So she was like, you know, I think you've been eating too much ice cream. Maybe we should just stop eating ice cream, which not a bad suggestion. Um, but in the moment, you know, I felt really vulnerable 
And I made a decision internally that I was never going to cry in front of my mom again. And I didn't know that I did that until I started deep thinking and the free association journaling. Then that memory came up. I knew exactly what happened. And it was, I was accessing my subconscious mind for the first time. It was super profound. And I was able to do a simple exercise to redesign that memory. And then all of a sudden I was crying in front of women. And before that, I actually would not be able to be emotional in front of any woman. And, um, I had very different relationships with men versus women. And, but then I realized what my block was. And so we're uncovering these blocks. So it's deciding to go into that deep process is the beginning stages of accessing those memories. Does that make sense? It completely does. You know, I think about the fact that in going through thoughts and kind of testing your thought processes, um, as you have many thoughts, if you if you are consciously aware of them, every now and then one will jump out at you as being significant. And you're tying it in with the emotion that you experience it when you see that, when that thought, because you're dumping it out, you're actually putting it on paper where you're going to see it. Mm-hmm. And which brings it more into the conscious and you're paying attention to your emotion. It makes so much sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's brilliant. So, yeah. So that's one, there's several ways to do it. And if you want me to, I can go into another way to access the subconscious. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and uh, the, but for people that are not taking note right now, um, I do want to get it out there on the front end here. There is an option, right? I think you have a program where mm-hmm. it's kind of all laid out as well. Yes. Can you tell us about that first? Yes. So we at Cancer Peace University, we have a program for cancer patients called Uplifted. And in the Uplifted program, cancer patients are able to learn about what is cancer, why they develop cancer. They also are able to engage in support on the physical side, the emotional side, the energetic side. We have our self-learning path on the Uplifted where we have core curriculum videos We have um, several books and a workbook to help the cancer patient really build their story of why they develop cancer, both physically and emotionally. And then we have group calls. We have lectures on what is cancer. We help clients implement holistic protocols, and then we help clients to rewire their mind and really engage in these neuroplastic activities to be able to rewire the mind and shift the body and the mind energetically. Okay. And, and I want to talk about the word neuroplastic because it's a big word. And is that, well, can you explain it? Yes. So yes, I'd love to explain it. So neuroplastic exercise is the concept that the reality is that your brain is wired to be rewired. So the challenge, what happens is that a lot of times our brain will prefer automation. So it will prefer to have synaptic connections that are very much automated. So that's why people can get into habits and do the same thing every day over and over again. And that's what the brain prefers because then you're not having to think about it consciously it's all programmed subconsciously because you've done it over and over again. So those synaptic connections are strong, but what happens on a negative side with that is that we can become hardwired to 
really become closed-minded and we can become not open to learning new things, stuck in a stagnant position. And sometimes what happens when cancer patients come to me is they end up coming to me and they're frustrated with their job. They're frustrated with their family life. They don't love their life. They've lost their passion for living. And they're stuck in this automated process of just doing the same thing every day, but hating it. And so that's not really optimal. And so what we help cancer patients engage in is a process of really uncovering what makes you come alive. We have a chapter um, in my book called Embrace Your Eccentricity. What makes you unique? What makes you different? And how can you live a life that is engaged in expressing fully who you are, what you're passionate about, and you're going to need to challenge these automated pathways in the brain that are simply not serving you. Does that make sense? It does. It does. You know, and I was trying to understand the word from a, a standpoint of, I think of plastic deformation. We think of plastic as something that's like solid, not changeable, but it does stretch and bend and mm. can be changed. Yes. Like, yeah, a good, a good example would be Play-Doh. Like Play-Doh is moldable. It's changeable. The brain is also like a muscle that can be exercised. Yeah. And you did a good, great job explaining it at the front end and even more so just now it's taken shape. Uh, but when you hear the word by itself, it's like a scary word. It's a big word. The one way I could make the biggest difference in people's health without breaking the bank is to convince them to eat 10 servings of fruits and vegetables every day, representing all the colors. For those that just don't have the time, there's eye greens, vegetable, and fruit powder. Each scoop has the antioxidant power of 10 servings of vegetables and fruits. As a thank you for listening to the Dr. Haley Show and to help you with your New Year's fruit and vegetable resolution, use the coupon code RESOLUTION before the end of 2023 to get 20% off your iogreens on the Haley Nutrition website. It will also work towards the purchase of Haley Pro Vegan Protein Powder, the perfect addition to your green drink to turn it into a meal replacement to help lose weight. Combine the coupon with sale prices and bundle discounts to really maximize your savings. Now, back to the Dr. Haley Show. So you met, mentioned that there was another way of identifying that trauma, that childhood trauma. So there's several ways to go about accessing the deeper roots of what's going on in your body energetically during a cancer diagnosis. And I mentioned deep thinking, free association journaling, but another thing that's very helpful is sometimes you can be in a situation with a close friend, spouse, your children, and you just all of a sudden have this overwhelming emotion that seems completely out of context. You're like, why am I so mad in this like small situation that does not seem to require that type of energy or emotion? And so we can be triggered by our belief system. And a lot of times these moments when we're having these heightened emotions that seem completely out of context is really a triggering point of our core belief system. And so to 
be able to pause and take some deeper thinking into why was I so triggered by this situation? And I call it following the emotion back to the memory. So what we can do is we can pinpoint the emotion, feel it in our body, notice where it's settling in our body energetically. And then you just drift off and you just follow that emotion back. When did I feel like this at a specific time in my life? And you follow it back. And sometimes you'll hit a memory. You're like, oh, I felt like that, but it doesn't seem like the same situation. It seems like a totally different situation, but it's the same belief. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it very much does. Um, you know, one, one thing I'm wondering, because we talked about the, you know, nutrition, exercise, rest, mental well-being, and how they all kind of work together. A lot of people are really doing well nutritional from the diet perspective, or maybe they get their eight hours of sleep. And they're doing various kinds of exercise. Can cancer be caused merely by our thoughts? That's a good question. I like that question. It's a very good question. So I think that cancer is always going to be the perfect storm. So I always tell cancer patients, it's not one thing. It's 10 things working together in the perfect storm to develop a storm that the body can't overcome. Now, if we look at it from the standpoint of psychoneuroimmunology and how your psychology is connected to your immune system, there's certain researchers that have an interesting perspective. Um, there's one researcher out of Austria. He says that the immune system and feelings are so intertwined that your feelings are a complete expression uh, of many times of how your immune system is going to operate in the body. And we've seen that sometimes even with um, emotionally on the side of autoimmune disease. Many times when people have an autoimmune disease, they have an emotional component of self-accusation, attacking themselves, and they're training their immune system to do that on a mental level. And so when we think about psychoneuroimmunology, we think about basically the Candice Pert teaches in her book, Molecules of Emotion, that neuropeptides are the emotions that are released by the brain, but they're training your immune system and even cancer cells. And neuropeptides, the molecules of emotion in the body can actually train cancer cells to grow and travel. So can a thought be a contributing factor to the perfect storm of cancer? That can can be the case because if you're having thoughts that are speaking and communicating, you have to think of it in terms of communication everything you think and feel and believe is communicating to yourselves. And so what communication patterns do you have in your psychology that is supporting health and which ones are actually supporting dysfunction? So for example, when people have, um, they're struggling with anxiety or depression. And so you're going to have depressive thoughts like, I don't like my life. I I, I hate myself or things like that, then you're really training your immune system to shut down, to suppress mm-hmm. You're you're suppressing your immune system response, which is really what happens with cancer anyway, because when your immune system is unable to be responsive, there's usually several reasons why. And there usually is a, an emotional component, a mental component. 
Yeah, it does make sense to me. And I, I think that's why those four things work together so well and why you do want to pay attention to all of them, the nutrition, the exercise, the mental well-being, you know, getting enough rest, getting enough sleep. Uh, the fifth one we talk about is making sure your nervous system is working well, the control system. We used to say the central nervous system controls and coordinates all of the functions of the body. And we thought, you know, if, if that signal from the brain can get out to all the nerves and we, you know, flush out your spine so that there's no nothing being choked on the way, you know, to the organs. But it's funny, you alluded to something that wasn't known 30 years ago when I was in school. And mm -hmm. that is that the cells talk to each other and they mm -hmm. travel and they send messages mm -hmm. and, you know, happy thoughts can create, you know, chemicals and neurotransmitters that make the communication go better for the immune system. So the immune mm -hmm. system can better find, you know, the, mm -hmm. the things it has to travel to, to, to do its work. Mm, exactly. Um, yeah, that's, it's ever evolving. And the reality is, is that we're on the cusp of so many amazing ways to understand psychoneuroimmunology and how we can apply it. And I think the most important thing is that we know enough that this is important and that we need to incorporate it in uh, a process when we have something like a diagnosis like cancer. Yeah. If, if we were to oversimplify it, we would, you know, focus on things like, well, things we absolutely know and understand that laughter creates good chemistry. It's been referred to as a medicine, laughter as a medicine. It de decreases stress hormones and, you know, releases nitric oxide and, you know, reduces inflammation and it has, you know, effect on your cholesterol levels and so many other things. Well, laughter is a, an, an emotional expression. It's an emotional expression. It's a, a state of our mental well-being. We don't do it when we're depressed mm -hmm. and, yes. you know, just a simple example of how a thought can change your blood chemistry, your nutrition mm -hmm. and yes. affect your overall well-being. So that's so true. Yes. And, and the research in terms of stress hormones and your immune system. So most people don't know that when you're releasing cortisol, adrenaline and noradrenaline, researchers have actually found that your natural killer cells of your immune system become basically suppressed and they they become passive and pressed up against your blood vessel lining and they are not working against cancer cells. They become inactive and natural killer cells are your last line of defense against cancer cells. And so if you're living in a chronic state of fight or flight with chronic stress hormones running through your body, your immune system will be disabled. And so we have to learn how to transition from sympathetic mode, your sympathetic nervous system of fight or flight stress mode to parasympathetic rest and recover mode. And we don't do that well in America. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, how do personality types affect people with mm -hmm. past trauma? That's a great question. And so the interesting research that was done in the 1980s was that the research was looking at melanoma, heart disease, and those with no disease. And they were basically testing the responses neurologically um, and in terms of stress with certain phrases, like you're ugly, 
you're to blame, you deserve nothing. And obviously, if you don't have any programming in your subconscious mind towards a given subject, you're not going to have a response. Um, But what happened with cancer patients is they found a pattern of cancer patients denying their physical biological response to a phrase. So they would have a stress response to a phrase. And then the researcher would say, how are you feeling? Um, Just to check their feedback. And they would say, oh, I'm fine. I'm not noticing anything. And yet they were having um, an an input of stress response to the the phrase. Um, And so what I found with cancer patients is that they do tend to have a habit of suppressing emotions. A lot of times cancer patients, the type C personality is that a lot of times people with cancer tend to be the caretakers. They take care of everyone else and they don't care, take care of themselves. And I'm in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You're a caretaker. You take care of everyone else. It's not that, but it's funny as you're saying these things, you know, I'm, I, I, I tend to think, no, there's nothing. How do you, how do you feel? How does that make you feel? No, I don't notice anything. Uh, but okay. it could, but these things could be affecting me. And, you know, well, men generally have this role of being caretakers and providers and protectors. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I would say we tend to take on that role naturally. And we tend to, you know, no, that doesn't bother me. That doesn't, I, I'm, I'm, everything's okay. Yes. Yep. You're either okay or you're super angry. Don't talk to me. I'm not okay. And nothing in between. <laughs> huh. And, um, yeah. And so the subtleties of emotional intelligence become super important, um, because there's a subtle, um, thing that happens in your body when you're expressing certain emotions, but people that develop cancer tend to have a habit of suppressing, denying emotions, ignoring their existence and just bulldozing forward. And so, and what happens with the type C personality is that typically does develop in childhood. So when I, in my work with cancer patients, typically we find out, okay, why did you become the caretaker? Why did you start suppressing your emotions? Um, I had a client come to me who she grew up there in a family of seven and she was one of the eldest girls and she, to gain significance in her family and even get the attention she wanted, she would be the one cleaning the house, cooking, doing everything. And she would just be the one that would actually pick up all the slack. And so she learned that at a young age. Um, I had another client with breast cancer who her parents were growing up, were always on the edge of a divorce. And they, they had this inappropriate interaction with her and would open up to her about their fights and their relationship. And so she would, she started to try to like, okay, dad, go buy mom flowers or mom, you should do this for dad. And so she had to uh, negotiate this, um, weird dynamic in her family that caused her to become a caretaker and caused her to, from a young age, be more aware of other people's emotions than herself. And so there's real reasons why people develop their personality traits and, real things that we need to work on in redesigning memories. Wow. Wow. Now you're also counseling people nutritionally. Yes. Yes. So, so cancer patients who go through our program are changing their diet. We're making recommendations for supplements and therapies and 
um, certain IVs depending upon their diagnosis and what treatment path they're taking. And, and so we're helping the cancer patient really bring all everything together. We really help cancer patients integrate their care because so time, so many times in America, the cancer patient is, you feel like you have to either do conventional or holistic and there's no in between, but we really need to integrate our own care and, um, have that source of support of understanding what does synergize and work well with chemotherapy and what doesn't, and how can we integrate so that the therapies can work together? Okay. One of the people I met where I met you at the uh, Beljansky conference, winning the war on can uh, on cancer in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, Carol, I'll say, I'll use her first name. Carol was uh, fighting cancer for the third time. And she was a little overwhelmed at the cost of some of the programs that were there, that fighting cancer was too expensive to go to this particular center for, you know, a few weeks and spend time with them might be $50,000. Mm-hmm. How costly is fighting cancer? How costly is getting to the root of your, you know, emotional problems? I know going to a a therapist can be 150 or even $200 an hour. How many hours does it take? Do I need this huge budget to mm-hmm. fight cancer? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so I think that finances can be challenging with cancer because we're dealing with a system issue. So we're dealing with the fact that insurance is not going to cover for holistic approaches, not going to cover for going to Mexico or going to these amazing clinics that are available for cancer patients. And so there's several things that I think are important for the cancer patient. First of all, um, I think it's important for the cancer patient to be able to get out of um, fear. So fear can be the cancer progression, fear of premature death, fear of lack, fear of not having enough finances. Um, it's important to be able to get out of that place. And so obviously in a best case scenario, the cancer patient would have support from a spouse or from family members or their community. And a lot of cancer patients have people that want to help. And I think there's no, no shame in doing a GoFundMe if you need to go to a clinic. And there's lots of people that want to give and help cancer patients have the finances they need. The last thing you need is a financial stress alongside of a diagnosis. And so a lot of my cancer patients end up having friends that will make a GoFundMe um, to do that. But also with my book and workbook, Braving the Storm book and workbook, um, you can do the deeper work on your own. I had a client who, um, you know, in some situations, People can do it on their own. In other situations, they can come and get support in our program, Uplifted. But I did have a cancer patient go through my book and workbook in a stage four ovarian cancer diagnosis. And um, she worked through all of the emotional roots. She was able to use all the the resources in my book and workbook. And um, she was NED after three months of doing doing the deeper work on her own. What's NED? NED is no evidence of disease. Mm-hmm. So she had on her scans, they were seeing tumors and she was stage four ovarian um, and it metastasized to several places in the lymph. And so after three months of doing the book and workbook, she was NED. And now that worked great for her. She was able to apply the concepts herself 
and really be self-motivated. Um, other people find that they need help in the context of the larger program because they may not feel like they have the emotional intelligence or they need more guidance and how to develop that. But, um, but I think that the biggest thing is that the cancer patient needs to overcome their own um, limitations. Sometimes cancer patients even have a wounding from how their parents viewed finances growing up or a lack mentality that they need to actually work on and, and redesign memories related to finances. And other times, part of my, my thinking in all of this is if we can somehow shift mentally to a belief factor of anything is possible, if I can believe anything is possible for my own healing journey during cancer, then I can navigate walking a path of spontaneous remission or remission not expected by my oncologist. Right. Um, however, um, sometimes the financial limitations of the limitations that a cancer patient puts on themselves also are showing a limitation in the, in the, the belief factor in general. So if you have a limiting belief about finances, where else are you limiting yourself? And how can you get through your own self-limitations to receive the support you need, receive the finances you need? Does that make sense? Completely, completely. You know, you put things out there and some push everyone away and some attract everyone in and some pushes finances away and some attracts it in. You know, it, it completely makes sense to me. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and know, the, yeah. I was going to ask you what your favorite testimonial is. Well, I'm still mm -hmm. asking the question because, yes. but I'm wondering if you just gave it to me and the person that went through the workbook. Um, no, actually one of my favorite testimonials, um, came from a cancer patient that was stage four, um, endometrial cancer. And she was working with two integrative clinics and she was on like 50 supplements. She was doing so many therapies. Her diet was perfect. And she was trying to avoid palliative chemo. Um, because she didn't really believe in palliative chemotherapy. Um, so with palliative chemotherapy, it's typically recommended in stage four. That's when oncologists will say you have to be on chemo the rest of your life. This is not curative. Um, and so she was pushing it off. And what happened was one of the doctors introduced her to my work. And so she connected with me and she said, do you think you can help me? Nothing's working. My cancer's still progressing and I'm doing everything I can do in the physical side. So we started working together and I found out that when her son was 20, he died of a drug overdose, mm. super traumatic. She never recovered. She didn't know how to resolve that trauma, obviously very hard trauma to overcome. And so we started to work together. Um, she did start doing palliative chemo, um, because she felt like she needed to push back the cancer. And so while she was doing palliative chemo and working with the two clinics, we started to go through her timeline of trauma and really go through one memory at a time to really address the core beliefs in her subconscious mind. And we started with the trauma of her son. And after a few sessions, she finally felt she had released the trauma of losing her son. And that was a huge weight for her to lift. It was amazing. And then we started to work on the memories from childhood, which sometimes memories from childhood can be very simple, but they, the, the child is so sensitive and takes things in, in such a 
a way that can alter the psychology, even in these simple moments, that redesigning these memories is so important because you're diffusing the beginning stages of a, a micro shift. It can be a shift of 1%, but if it starts when you're young, then all of a sudden you're 90 degrees off when you're 50 years old. And so we started to re redesign these simple memories. And we literally went through every memory and we were about to have our last session. And in our last session, I was thinking, I was like, I don't know what we're going to work on because we already felt like we got through everything. Well, she had a scan right before our last session. And so she got on her last session and she said, you're not going to believe this, but I am completely NED. They can't find any evidence of disease on my scan. And that was a really amazing, profound moment um, because she had come to me five months previously and she said, you know, if, if we're not able to address this, do you help with hospice care? And she was really in a, in a, in a low place and she, she really was able to move through it in a really profound way. And so, so I love it. A spontaneous remission from cancer is something Japanese research found that spontaneous remission from cancer occurs within 24 hours of a profound internal transformation. And the goal of our uplifted program is to lead cancer patients through a profound internal transformation. Yeah, I, I think that actually almost answers one of the earlier questions when I, you know, was asking, can this be the cause of cancer? Can the brain, you know, your thoughts be the cause of cancer? And if changing them could turn into a spontaneous remission, then that must be a lot to do with the cause, mm -hmm. uh, the initial cause, whether it was immune system not working or whatever. We don't understand these things. You know, we know that some people with this particular treatment, a percentage of them get well, but not everyone. Why is that? I would uh, imagine the people that got well addressed something else to get to the root cause Mm -hmm. of their health problem, their health challenge. Yes. Yes. And for many years, the research always appeared to be inconclusive with um, psychotherapy interventions. But the reason why it was inconclusive was because they were putting everyone in the same category. So they would do these psychological interventions and they would just assume that everyone's doing all the same things. But all of a sudden they realized uh, certain researchers, David Spiegel, they realized that there were certain cancer patients that, that were doing more. They were journaling, they were doing their own work at home. They were meditating. They were, they were spending hours a day on these, um, psycho-emotional interventions and their counterparts were just showing up for the group support calls or the group, the live group support, and they weren't doing extra deeper work. And so when they realized that um, there was a, there's a researcher that realized that, um, basically that the ones that went through NED or they became NED, no evidence of disease were the ones that actually believed it. They actually spent time doing the deeper work, journaling and meditating and, and really understanding why they developed cancer on the psychological level. And then there were other people that were just going through the motions and didn't really believe that it was going to do anything. So they didn't um, they didn't dedicate themselves to that work. Wow. Um, you know, I believe that someone's going to hear this and relate to the story that you told about the woman that had lost her child. And, uh, you know, it's definitely emotional hearing that and knowing that she overcame 
her health challenges and properly dealing um, with the trauma. Uh, so I know that's going to touch probably a few people out there and uh, there is hope. So yes. that's a beautiful thing. Yes. There's always hope. And, you know, we believe that, that the cancer does not have to be this crisis that ends in despair, but that cancer can be a path of transformation, mm. that people can be transformed internally and externally. And, and cancer can be clarifying. Some people find during cancer that they clarify their values, what they want to prioritize. They're able to make changes that they never were able to make, and they're able to step into a new life. And so we hope that cancer patients can grieve the diagnosis, feel the deep feelings that they have, but we hope at some point they can turn a corner and start to yeah. embrace the process of transformation. Well, what the devil meant for evil, God can use for good. Yes, that is true. That is very true. Megan, where can people go to find out more about you? I know you have a YouTube channel. I is do. Is that called Cancer Peace? What is it? Cancer Peace University. They can find me there. You can find me um, at www.cancerpeaceuniversity.com. Um, they can also email me to connect about an intake process if they're interested and uplifted, um, cancerpeaceuniversity at gmail.com. Okay, great. For those that are listening in on the podcast, I'll have URLs. I'll have links that you can see and go to visit these things. I'll have them below the video on YouTube. I'll have them at the bottom of the page on the blog post. Um, so Megan, I want to thank you so much for opening up my mind. Uh, I know so much more now and uh, you're truly a blessing. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Michael. I've really enjoyed this interview. Thank you for having me on. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on The Dr. Haley Show. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot, and share this exact episode with them. You can catch the show notes for this episode on www.drhaley.com. If you want to geek out with Dr. Michael Haley on other radical health topics, be sure to check out his YouTube channel where he posts exclusive video content. All the details are at www.drhaley.com and we can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.